You're listening to KRUI 89.7 Iowa City. Welcome to Bijou Banter, produced by the Bijou Film Board, a student-run organization at the University of Iowa dedicated to the exhibition of provocative and engaging cinema. Since 2013, Bijou has assisted with the programming and operation of Film Scene, a nonprofit cinema in downtown Iowa City. As a disclaimer, all of the opinions expressed during Bijou Banter are those of the hosts and our guests, and not those of KRUI or the University of Iowa. It's Thursday, September 15th, 2016, and in this week's show, we'll be discussing three films that are currently playing or about to open at Film Scene. Our lineup includes Morris from America, which opened at Film Scene last week, and will continue to play throughout the weekend and all next week. Next, we'll be discussing As I Open My Eyes, which plays at Film Scene Tuesday, September 20th at 6 p.m. as part of Bijou Horizons. Finally, we'll be discussing The Invitation, which plays at Film Scene Saturday, September 17th at 11 p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. Joining us in our third segment to discuss The Invitation is Bijou member Sarah Alanowitz. Before we begin to banter, I should introduce my co-hosts. We have Spencer Williams, a cinema major at the University of Iowa. Welcome, Spencer. Hi. So good to hear your voice. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Changmin Yu, a film studies grad student at Iowa. Welcome, Changmin. Glad to be here. It's really good to hear your voice as well. (laughs) I'm Leah Vonderheide, also a film studies grad student. Let's start with our first film, Morris from America. Spencer, I'm excited to hear what you thought of this film before we begin our discussion. All right. Morris from America is a coming-of-age story centered around the titular American wannabe rapper Morris and his struggles to fit in and make friends in Germany. Morris's migration to Germany is due to his father's job as a German soccer coach. Other characters populate the film as well, such as Morris's German teacher, Inka, and the eventual object of his affection, Katrin. As the film progresses, Mo experiences his first party, his first love, and ultimately his first rejection. The film is less concerned with its intriguing setting than one would think, devoting less time exploring the cultural shock Morris and his father feel as two black Americans living in a predominantly white-bred European country, and more time checking off the Sundance coming-of-age cliché checkbox. Furthermore, Morris's relationship with Katrin unnerved me due to Katrin's continuous stereotypically racist and intrusive questions and her strange fetishizing of Morris's body. Also, the film treats Inca's concerns of misogyny and Morris's lyrics as intrusive rather than an opportunity for Morris to learn something more than just Morris's father's advice, which is to write what you know. Yes, Morris's father chastises Morris for the lyrics, not because of their misogynistic content, but due to the fact that Morris has not, in fact, experienced sex with two women at the same time yet. I'm unsure of what I'm supposed to take away from this film, as I found neither the characters nor the story to be interesting, inventive, or subversive to what we might expect from a coming-of-age story. So I'll hand the discussion off to my fellow banterers to see what their opinions are. Um, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and, and, and articulated a lot of what I was feeling, but didn't quite know to be true (laughs) and that I spent the first five minutes five maybe ten minutes of this film thinking wow this is like I love this film this is amazing like why don't we just put more characters in one country and just see what happens um that's not their homeland and in modern day times and explore that youth culture and yada 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 and I just thought there was going to be all of these kind of interesting um really nuanced readings of young people coming of age alone together and yet after about the first 10 minutes I kept trying to remind myself like oh I think you like this film except for I I, I was like slowly not liking it I wasn't disliking it I just I couldn't find anything to hold on to um and the particular scene the the one scene in particular where uh morse's father yeah tells him basically that 
his lyrics are bad because they, they're not from experience, but is like in no way concerned about their violent and misogynistic message. Like in no way concerned and, and almost like he would love, he would love for that to be the case. Like, I don't know, like that was a very confusing scene where I couldn't figure out like where I fit in. And maybe that was the point. Maybe this movie has nothing to do with me, but I don't know. What did you think, Jung Min? I think the film is just populated by all these stereotypes, right? Like you get like a, 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 a African-American who loves to rap. You get his father who's also very much immer- immersed in this rap culture. Uh, but it's, it's like you are seeing like a story being transposed from Los Angeles to Germany and with without anything um, or anything any drastic changes even the the interaction between Morris and Katrine uh, was kind of stiff in the sense that you don't see how they explore their adolescence how they deal with uh, different issues um, that come from for example their gender identity their, uh, their racial identity their figure and I don't know. I just feel like because the film wants so much to focus on the dimension of popular culture, especially popular music, it loses some authenticity. Like you don't see the depth of these characters. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that when I was watching this, I kept thinking about how this entire story could have just taken place in America. It seemed that the location of Germany didn't really have any strong bearings on the story itself, other than uh, accents and like, um, I guess just sort of, I mean, the German teacher is there to sort of teach Morris German, which is like the only other like cultural indicator, I guess, in the film. Um, yeah, I was just, I was kind of just, I wasn't drawn into the story as much as I wanted it, as much as I wanted to be. Um, Uh, I have one question. Is this film made by an American director? I think so, right? I believe so. Yeah. That was my impression, yeah. That's, there's like a weird ideology being projected onto these characters like, America is the best. Like everybody wants to go to America. Everybody is curious about America. Like as if like we are not living in an age of the internet. I don't know. I just get that feeling. Like everybody, yeah, everybody wants to learn English. That I get. Like, but like I don't know why. For example, Inca uh, wants to move to America. Like I just, I mean, I get it. Like she wants to be with her boyfriend. I just don't get the the real motivation as if like it is just like an excuse i don't know or they could have explored further she wants to go to new york in particular and i don't think that's terribly unusual for europeans to be to gravitate to new york city um and to want to go there and experience the images that they've seen in so much of um mainstream popular culture that the u.s exports but it wasn't really that conversation didn't happen in a space where I really felt like I understood Inca or or anything that I just said out loud, right? Like, and like it was just like she's just talking about going to New York, yeah. and like like you have to go to New York, for example, to learn English. That that is also something I find Even very very weird. Even though she's fluent in English, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I want my English to be better. That kind of mentality, just oh my god, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So to me, the emotional center of the story seemed to be 
between the, the relationship between Morris and his father. However, the film only allows a couple scenes for them to really interact with each other on the ground, unlike other grounds than the father scolding Morris for, like, something that he, like, did. Um, did you guys want to see, like, more banter between these two? I mean, there's talk of this deceased mother figure that kind of looms over their relationship, but to me it felt like this presence, I guess, was more of a background detail than than like something that held weight within the story itself. Um, and so I was curious what you guys made of that particular. Um. I, yeah, it just, it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that happened, and so maybe this is like an unfair judgment of the film, is that I was, it immediately made me think of Hunt for the Wilder People, which just came out a couple months ago and also deals with um, a child who's essentially Morris's age, who um, is cut off from his family and then furthermore cut off from his mother figure um, early on in the film. And so he and Sam Neill are kind of trying to be father and son together. And that movie just felt, even that movie, which had some sort of really cheesy scenes in it, still felt much more um, like a... Like, a, just a depiction of two people that I was interested in. In this film, I ju- there was just nothing... Again, there's nothing to hold on to. There were no... The scenes between Morris and his father... Um, there's a couple of really good ones. A scene in the car where yeah. we start to hear Morris's father open up a little bit more about Morris's mother was really significant. Um, but Morris never talks about his mom, uh, ever. Like, he never... And I in in Morris in all the depictions of Morris, I never thought to myself, oh, I could see how, like, if his mom was here, things would be easier. Like... She was completely absent from both the screen, the dialogue, and my mind. Like, it, she wasn't factoring into any of it. I think Morris's mother in the film is just really like a pin-up figure. that you, It's like, it's so flat that you don't see, like, any presence in their memory or elsewhere. And it's just like, I think one of the things that I really want to say is that I think Spencer is right, that this film is uh, Sundance at its worst not not that it's, this is a bad film but just like all the uh, all the all the biases that people have towards Sundance can be seen in this film in general yeah I mean it has like that bumping soundtrack of <laughs> like American music mm-hmm. predominantly um, and then I guess cut, like the party scenes where like the the teenager is introduced to parties and introduced to sneaking out of the house for the first time without a parent around. And just like these things that are so familiar in cinema, but it doesn't do anything new with them. Um, and it, it's kind of a like, a, OK, so what kind of effect after a while. But I also want to talk about um, Katrin. I found her character to be extremely underwritten and a strange choice for Morris's affections, considering, well, A, how little we come to know about her other than she likes to party a lot, but also because of her very invasive, racially stereotypical questions devoted to Morris's body. Um, And so I was just wondering what you guys also thought of her just like as a figure in the film and her relationship with Morris. Yeah, there's, well, her... There are so many characters in this movie who are both casually and at times really pointedly racist towards Morris that it felt 
very strange to have this movie set in Germany with absolutely no other context about Germans and their past histories with racism. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, that felt fair. Like, I mean, if there was any argument to say this really should have just been put in an American city, like, that is one of them. Because this felt very strange to have so many German... Um, young people uh, and and their parents all of them just very racist and uncomfortable with morris in ways that they couldn't even be remotely self-aware about it in the way that i think would have been a more accurate portrayal um or or a portrayal that i would have been able to engage with more um but yeah katrine the only justification is that they're so young right morris is only 13 and she's 15 that i think that um, those infatuations can can run pretty hot when you're that young, and you don't really need a reason other than the fact that she's really pretty. I think using stereotypes to know the word is part of youth culture, though. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but we do see uh, young people would like uh, give people labels, so you can sort of um, construct a system to understand the word. So, like, I, I'm not saying it's uh, it's correct or it's politically. C- um, righteous or whatever, but um, I do see the impetus to to use that to single out a certain aspect of youth culture. But yes, I don't know why this has to happen in Germany because I just don't <laughs> see the Germanness right. w- with that kind of um, narrative, right? Yeah, they're sort of painted as if they're like super white Americans or something. Like yeah. all of the kind of cluelessness and and privilege that white americans can demonstrate um they like it was as if the filmmakers were like well in germany it's that much more so and i don't think that that's a fair conclusion to make or even like a line of thought to really follow in present day germany yeah like (laughs) i'm not saying there's no racism in germany i'm just saying like it it didn't seem to match up with any experiences i've had there it's like okay it's like other than the background like Morris's father working for a soccer team. The entire uh, youth center feels like a suburban American suburban youth center, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. people are playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Why they are doing that? I just, I mean, usually soccer basketball is very popular in Germany at this point. I think I I, I get that, <laughs> but I, I just I'm just saying that. But use that as something that you talk about in the film is a different thing. Or talk about why Morris's father plays soccer, even though, didn't they say he grew up in New York? Am I wrong about that? I think so. Yeah. I think I re- like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that pretty remarkable that somebody Bronx, who's like in his mid-40s grew up in the Bronx yeah. and, and became a passionate soccer player, so much yeah. so that he played professionally at one point in Europe. <laughs> like, that's an interesting story. Like, how did that happen? That's not a typical soccer story it's not the typical story of a black man growing up in the bronx like if you're going to introduce it maybe flesh that out a little bit more or at least say that it's a fluke as opposed to acting as if this is like perfectly normal right or every day yeah i i agree um i also just wanted to briefly mention the scene where inca has the notebook that morris leaves behind with his lyrics in it and she brings it to morris's father and then there's sort of like this back and forth of whether or not, um, you know, it's right for her to bring that over and to bring up sort of the misogyny in the book because ultimately she's not the parental figure. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of this argument that occurs, a very brief argument of whether or not it's like Morris's father's like sole responsibility to sort of bring attention to this. And because she's like 
just a teacher. She shouldn't have any say in this matter. And I don't know, something about that scene just made me feel very uncomfortable, but also conflicted because on one hand I was like, well, yeah, I mean, he is the parent. He should be the one like dishing out the discipline. But then ultimately I feel as though he dishes it out for the almost the wrong reasons. Like he doesn't seem to address the concerns that she brings to the table. Um, and so I was just wondering... And I think that, I mean, my favorite character in the whole movie was Inca, um, just because I feel like she relates to Morris on this level that no one else really can relate to him on. And she's kind of, I don't know, she's kind of like the cool teacher that I wish I had growing up, you know? But I just I wanted to know what you guys thought of that scene in particular, this like tension between parental discipline and sort of the outsider coming in to bring up the issue. Well, I thought that scene was really strong because um, of the way they both play it and perform that kind of tension that's that's happening. Um, and I think what it's suggesting is essentially she's disturbed by the sexuality expressed in Morris's lyrics, and that's tapping into um, and that's tapping into a fear or an image of white women being threatened by black male sexuality, and right. then black men being punished for that um, and and killed for that. Um, particularly in the context, again, of the U.S., not that that can't happen anywhere else. (laughs) Um, And so Morris's father is not just being protective because he feels like this is a private family matter, but because he's reacting, I think, to the idea that, you know, um, that she's perceiving something his very good-natured 13-year-old son has written about as an actual threat to her. Um, And he finds that outrageous and inappropriate, I think. I think that's what it's tapping into. But again, it's not clear to me... I mean, maybe it's a strength because she's obviously not seeing it in that context at all. Um, but it also seems like a weakness because it's not clear why the film, again, is unfolding in Germany. I think the film itself is ideologically confused. I think, like, if we have that scene in a very, very well-made film, you would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because, but because we see so many problems with this narrative, that this scene looks like a problem rather than a perfect mix of strong emotions and uh, all these profound problems that we have to face. Right. All right. Well, we'll end there. Again, Morris from America opened at Film Scene last week and will continue to play throughout the weekend and all next week. For a complete list of showtimes, check out Film Scene's website, icfilmscene.org. After a quick break, we'll be back to discuss as I open my eyes. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Welcome back to Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. This is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. Let's move on to our second film. As I Open My Eyes is a French-Tunisian film directed by Leila Bouzid. Set in 2010, Bouzid's first feature-length film is a coming-of-age tale set against the background of Tunisia's nascent Jasmine Revolution. Farah, played by Baya Midhoffer, is a feisty 18-year-old who lives with her protect- protective mother, Hayat, played by Galia Benali. 
though it's suggested that perhaps Hyatt was once a defiant teenager herself. Farrah wants to be a professional singer for a band that writes and performs explicitly political songs, songs critical of the repressive government of Zine El Abedin Ben Ali, Tunisia's president for 23 years at the time. Farrah's participation in the band also introduces her, her to a life of beer drinking and lovemaking with her bad boy boyfriend Borain, played by Montessor Ayari. For these reasons, among others, Hyatt would prefer that her daughter quit the band and focus on her medical school studies. But Farah not only dismisses her mother's desires, she also ignores warnings from friends about trouble ahead as her political songs start to draw attention from the party-affiliated police. In some ways, this uh, film is a collision of two genres, the coming-of-age tale and the political thriller. Personally, I think the film was made stronger for the way it depicted Farah's teen rebellion colliding with her country's own revolution. But my fellow banterers, do you agree? Do you think these two genres worked well together, or do you think the one detracted from the other? Um, I I agree. I thought the two genres worked really, really well together. I think it sort of with, um, I guess with all of like the political context, I thought it was important that they centered it on just like one particular character and sort of like what she's going through and sort of the songs that she's writing about sort of this upheaval that's happening in the country. Um, but then just also focus it on just not like making her a political symbol as much as it is just like making her a person that is experiencing these things. And so I, I really enjoyed that sort of duality of both genres coming together. I think the film is also partially a musical, right? Because just because we, we, we hear so many songs at the beginning. And I was kind of, you know, distracted by that just because uh i think it it makes like it makes me think that i'm not the the targeted audience because it is directed at for example a tunisian audience mm-hmm. that would be uh moved by these very very well revolutionary songs and political sentiments so uh, i think that also needs to come into our discussion between um a coming-of-age story and a police thriller. Um, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't see that much thriller in this film. Like, uh, you get a hint of something is going to happen. It's almost, almost like, you know, you get a sense of homeland. Just a sense. Like, you get a hint here, you get a hint there. Somebody's being beaten, and somebody's going to be kidnapped. But, like... Um, the 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 shadow itself is not evenly distributed in the film, so you get more later. Yeah, so it's worth noting that the Jasmine Revolution not only led to the ousting of Ben Ali in 2011, it's also considered the first spark of the Arab Spring, which is the wave of demonstrations and protest, protests in Arab that um, included the ousting of the dictators in Egypt and Libya. But as you're saying, Jong Min, as I open my eyes, doesn't provide any of this context. I mean, Ben Ali's name I don't think is ever even said in yeah, the no, film. Um, so did you, so did you find yourself wanting more information about the stakes of the revolution of its, uh, the revolution itself? I think, uh, again, I would say this film is targeting, uh, a local audience just because you, ha- you have to, um, pay attention to the fact that, uh, I think Tunisian government is paying some of this, right? So of course they wouldn't want like a recent political event being mentioned explicitly on screen. That would be like, that would be sort of, it's like, 
Okay, we just have that kind of political trauma. Then you you are asking us to go back and deal with it like immediately. So I think that's、uh, the status quo for many political filmmaking in Asia or in Africa or in in South America. That、uh, in order to talk about a political event, you have to wait at least thirty years, especially something like a revolution. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I went back and forth on this. On one hand, I, I mean, I know very little. I know like the bare minimum about sort of the revolution that occurred, but also I feel like even not knowing like the intricate details of it, I still was immersed in the film itself. Regardless of that, it was sort of the whole film to me felt like someone like lit a match, but then it like went to credits before anything could sort of be lit on fire, and I thought that was. Interesting, like because you can see that there's like a fire burning. It's just like nothing has been destroyed because of it yet. And I thought that was interesting. It felt like it was building up, and then I don't know, like the actual revolution itself would be like the sequel,、um, <laughs> <laughs> part two. Yeah, but I don't know. I I enjoyed sort of the way that it didn't necessarily explicitly mention it because then you could like sort of focus more on her trials and tribulations than sort of. Throwing heaps upon heaps of political context, just like onto her alone, and sort of every action that she makes. Yeah, and it was interesting because she's partly、um, she's trying to be defiant against a, a repressive regime for sure, but she's also just being a rebellious teenager.、Right. Like, so the fight she's having with her mother tend to be over kind of petty arguments about when she can go out and who she can be with and when she can spend the night with somebody,、um, and so. It, Because we're not getting a ton of explicit information about the growing unrest in Tunisia or just the state of the government before the unrest,、um, it allows you to sort of wonder, like how how paranoid is her mother being? You know, like, and it just made me think, like, man, if I was a rebellious teenager and there was also like something going on in my country that was like making things very unsafe for me, or if I was a minority in my own country,、um, that the stakes are so much different than than sort of what I would have experienced. I think. I know. For that matter, I think the film is kind of pessimistic, as if like it's saying that if the girl grows up,、uh, she's going to grow out of her、uh, rebellious spirit or a certain kind of、uh, spirit for political revolution. I mean, I think that's certainly suggested in the tension that's created by the mother having this sort of unknown past that we never get fully, we're never made fully privy to. But I don't know. I would suggest that the ambiguous ending of the film suggests a little, again, like maybe a spark of hope or one flame of hope that perhaps there could be change. Plus, there was a revolution in the country, so、yeah. <laughs> we know that that happened afterwards.、Um, Also, they're、uh, kind of changing gears here. There's a long tradition in French film history of first features made by young directors who explore loosely autobiographical, often coming-of-age tales using a naturalistic, if not inventive, style. I'm thinking of right now Agnès Varda's La Pointe Courte, François Truffaut's The Four Hundred Blows, Claire Denis' Chocolat, Cassavetes' La Haine. I'm sure there's many others.、Um, and given that Bouzid did study film、uh, filmmaking in Paris and she attended the Sorbonne, does this make, as I open my eyes, a part of this tradition? And how does this impact your reading of the film? Um. Yeah, I would. I would say that this is probably part of the tradition. I guess, although these other films mentioned are sort of 
they, they, they take place in France itself, whereas this sort of takes place, I mean, except for Chocolat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't, I feel like even in Chocolat, like the focus is on a very French family and sort of everything that happens around them mm-hmm. um, rather than sort of like the locals of the place that they migrated to. Whereas in this film, like the, it's to, what the country that Tunisia. Is, Tunisia. Yeah. Tunisia. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like very much centered around the people that live there itself. So it's very much tied to that particular country and that, I guess, um, culture, political, um, I guess. Yeah. I think, uh, one thing that this film, uh, did that is pretty different from all the films that you just mentioned is that it is trying to work a fine, fine line between commercial filmmaking and our house. Um, and I think all, almost all of the films that you mentioned, um, except The Hand, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, were not considered to be uh, commercial successes. And it's not like they, they, they did you know, very bad at box office. It's just comparatively, uh, France has a, a very mature commercial cinema system sort of to support the art house filmmaking. And I think that's not the case for uh, most, for example, African countries or even Asian countries or South American countries. So uh, in order to talk about something, in order to attract a certain kind of local audience into the theater, the film cannot cannot be too artsy. But don't you think that, I mean, this is a French co-production. I mean, it has a lot of funding from France. So it, I guess I just assumed that this is being shown in France as an art house production, um, like from one of their own in a way, because yeah. they, because she studied there and has an identity that is um, partially informed by her experience in mm-hmm. France. Um, but I don't know. You're suggesting that this is really still seen more as... Um, no, I think like any, for example, any commercial cinema in uh, any African country or Asian country or maybe South American country, like they would be considered as an art film in France. They would be screened in an art house theater. That is not the case when you are talking about like, you know, the, the, the African countries themselves. Oh, interesting. Right? Like you're going to see like an Asian director's film in one of their art theaters, yeah. not, not in a commercial theater. Well, that's the same here. Yeah. But like, for example... I don't think um like I don't think their cinema industry is developed to the extent that they can differentiate um between commercial theaters and art house theaters. You're saying in Tunisia. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's why I'm wondering, I mean, that's kind of part of my question. Is this just the natural evolution of the kind of style of filmmaking? Let's say it starts with the new wave. Um for the case sake of this argument, where mm-hmm. now France uses um, its funding for 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 essentially world cinema yeah. as a way to foster new um, independent artists, mm-hmm. specifically in the way that it's done for its quote unquote own mm-hmm. sort of population. Yeah. I don't know if that was a question or statement. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like I'm a statement. But that's a, that, that's a reasonable statement. Just because I think, you know, Cannes is being the most important art film festival in the world. So, like, and they, they do have a tradition of subsidizing, you know, all these art film productions. 
All right, one last question. Did you guys like the music? Um, I wanted to. <laughs> you wanted yeah. to. <laughs> I really, really wanted to. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I mean, personally, I just didn't find her voice all that appealing. I thought that the melodies were great, and I thought that, like, the lyrics themselves were powerful and potent, but something about her voice, man, I just, I don't know. Oh, interesting. What do you think, Jangmin? I like her smoky voice. Yeah, I liked it. And I also really liked the music. Like, yeah. I thought it was, like, I would listen to that. I don't know. There were moments where I just saw her sort of, like, straining to hit those notes, and I was like, the diaphragm! <laughs> like, <laughs> She's a mere human. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> All right, well, we'll end there. Again, as I open my eyes, plays at Film Scene Tuesday, September 20th at 6 p.m., as part of Bijou Horizons World Cinema Series. For more information on Bijou Horizons, check out Bijou's website, bijou.uiwa.edu. Before we move on to our third film, let's check on the weather. It's currently 79 degrees and partly cloudy in Iowa City tonight. Scattered thunderstorms, then uh, then more storms uh, likely later, going up to 60% chance, a low of 66 degrees. On Friday, uh, thunderstorms likely, a 70% chance. The high will be 77. You're listening to Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. Bijou Banter is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. Joining us to discuss our third film, The Invitation, is Bijou... The Invitation, right? Why do I want to call this film something else? Okay, The Invitation is Bijou member and cinema major Sarah Alanowitz. Welcome to Bijou Banter, Sarah. Hello there. Jungmin, before we begin to discuss this creepy, wonderful film, perhaps you can share your thoughts. Happy to. Karen Kusama's fifth feature tells a story of ominous reunion. Our protagonist, Will, drives the new girlfriend, Kira, to a Hollywood Hills house of his ex-wife, Eden. He has not seen her for two years, not knowing what has happened between Eden and her newfound partner, David. Much is left unsaid from the beginning. As the story goes on, the audience will find out that the reason for Will and Eden's divorce was their son's accidental death. As the plot unfolds, the audience will sense, along with Will, that something is not quite right with this place. Or something is not quite right with Will. His paranoia and obsession seem to spread out and suffuse the entire film. Everything hinges on peaceful clues. The audience is left hanging and waiting for what is going to happen next. Previously on Banter, we have discussed Kusama's previous film, Jennifer's Body, from 2009, in which femininity is both appealing and devious. Kusama has long been fascinated by the horror genre, no matter it's psychological or not. The Invitation is no exception. Some of my friends hated this film so much precisely because it toys the audience back and forth. I find it quite teasing and titillating. It strikes a balance between not enough and too much. The film should definitely be read as an allegory of grieving about how the suffering and pain and tears are materialized on screen in this horrific manner. Something I was not quite satisfied with is this place without the internet. I understand this is because this is just the premise of the story to cut off any information access to the outside so as to construe this modern chamber drama. Okay, enough with me. Sarah, how do you like the film? And do you all find this to be a successful thriller? I really do, actually. I kind of have a love-hate relationships with thrillers in a sense that um, I'm very anxious. I'm an anxious person. Um, so when the like suspense becomes too much, I find myself being distracted by like my own overwhelming feelings and what is going on on the screen. 
Um, and I thought the invitation did a great job of, like you said, you had said before, it, it, it pulls us back and forth as the audience that I think it gave us room to breathe and relax and um, think about Will's like paranoia throughout the film is, you know, maybe it is just all in his head and then would give us a scene that would pull us back in like, well, maybe he's not just looking into this party too much um, by being distracted by his grief. Like maybe there is something way more serious going on. So I love the film. I was very surprised with how much I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like this film too. And I think it like even the soundtrack too, I think really helps mm-hmm. rack up sort of the tension. It's very like staccato and like very unmusical also, which I think sort of heightens the way that we feel when we're watching it. Um, but yeah, I thought um, sort of this balance of um, sort of like kind of playing like toying with the audience like dangling something in front of them and then like pulling it back really fast and then sort of making you feel okay I'm comfortable in this scene again like I'm comfortable with everyone at this table and sort of everything's going smoothly and then just like oh something someone says just like a line that is you can construe as like oh wait that was really off and then more things pile on top of that and you're like wait I'm no longer comfortable anymore and then something else will happen you'll be like oh I'm fine again and then it just keeps keeps on going and I, I, I like films that sort of play like that can I ask since you guys are both programmers for BGU After Hours you had both had you both seen this film and did you was like did you just suspect that people will like it watching it in After Hours um yeah I think was I I think I was the one that pitched this one right? yeah yeah, yeah you I, were that you showed me the trailer yeah I chose this one um yeah and I I um, I didn't see it when I pitched it, but then right after I pitched it, I watched it um, because I, I don't know. I thought the trailer was pretty captivating, and I had read sort of like the initial reactions when it came out of South by Southwest in 2015, um, and also just being interested because this is also the director of like Girl Fight and um, Jennifer's Body, um, which is the film that I had pitched before. So when you showed me this trailer and it being like totally way different than yeah. Jennifer's Body, I was really intrigued. Um, about how an audience would receive it. Yeah, and I think it just fits well in sort of like this late night kind of showing like everyone feels vulnerable at night. (laughs) So it's just like, I mean, and this film kind of adds to that too. So I thought it would be a good fit. I think the director also has improved a lot since Jennifer's Body. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. I kind of want to go back to a point, if that's okay, um, where Spencer was talking about the music and I feel like... um, the like shots played with that as well like um kind of jump scares but also like suspenseful jump scares with angles and stuff like that usually is what shows up in like thrillers and horror films um but i found a lot of the shots that were supposed to be unnerving some of the moments where i felt like more comfortable like i want to say it was a shot where they're like running slow motion up the stairs to go to dinner i found that very like familial and and like comforting seeing them all together and i think it was like followed up by a a very unnerving situation so i just thought the camera work was really interesting in playing with that okay so there's a scene where everybody in the living room is invited quote-unquote that is forced to watch a video on david's laptop we then find out it's about watching somebody die I think this is one of the most genius sequences in the film. The audience wouldn't know, not unlike the characters, how to process this information. Did it give you some creeps? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
There was something re- like the fact that he played it on his MacBook and they all like sat around watching it made it so much more like accessible to put myself in the um, situation with the characters um, and feel like you said, like feeling what they were feeling in the exact same moment. Um, that was wild and very scary to me. Yeah, I mean, I was shook. Um, it was like, uh, I mean, and it's also it was so great too to see everyone sort of huddled around it, and then to see their individual like individual reactions to this moment. Like, there are people who have been friends for a long time watching this. Like, oh my, like what? And then there are people who this friend group isn't so familiar with who are watching it, and they have like these very peaceful expressions on their faces and they're like yeah like we're really into this like this is great and like sort of like the dichotomy between those two groups of people centered around this like one video is just it's so creepy and it's just like yeah uh it really reminded me of this is one of the things i really like about this whole movie of um the celebration the danish film by Mm. changmin thomas winterberg yes you're great. Thank you. Um, which is one of my favorite films. Um, it's, I, I think, considered the first dogma film. But aside from that, it's a movie about a bunch of really wealthy people being gathered together for a weekend and being confronted with some really uncomfortable information and then trying to continue to act normally with each other um, and continue to have this party or celebration that's taking place. And this film really... And I, I just love movies like that I like watching really bougie wealthy people like be uncomfortable together and tr- still try and enjoy all of the luxuries that they have yeah. access to um and so that scene where they're they're looking at this really creepy awful video that they're being shown and then trying to make light of it or 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 confront it head-on i mean there's one friend in particular who gets increasingly uncomfortable with the the level of the conversation or the subject of the conversation and um yeah, like it just makes you ask, like, what would I do in this situation? Would I stay for the good wine, or would I? The wine has to be really good. Like, <laughs> it's like how many, How much is that? A million a bottle? Would I just like get up and be like, well, it's time for me to have another drink? Yeah. Uh, after watching that, absolutely. And also because, like, uh, I think the wonderful thing about that video is that it is so. Serene. It's not. It's not like violent. It's not mm-hmm. like showing right. you some very very bloody stuff. So everybody will be scared and would be like, "Oh my god, what are you showing me?" No, it's just somebody dies really really slowly, and we watch that slowly. So it's like there's this like you, your your brain just doesn't know how to process that kind of information right. somehow. Yeah, like the after the video had ended it it brought upon a really interesting dialogue between the characters. Like some of them were very mm-hmm. creeped out and um unnerved by what they were being seen, but then others were also trying to grapple with it in a sense of like I think one of the quotes one of the characters says is like I thought she looked really peaceful and that was beautiful. Um so I thought that was that was a really uh cool way to kind of delve into the characters a little bit more and like who reacted in what way. Yeah. yeah, so, okay. Let's talk about the characters a little bit. So I find the women are almost marginal in this film, surprisingly. Um, I get this is because that the narrative uh, is told from Will's perspective, but that still leaves something to be desired. Do you agree? Because, you know... Um, 
her previous film is Jennifer's Body. That film is so much about women,、mm-hmm. and this film is almost entirely not about women. I'm kind of on the fence.、Um, on one hand, I feel like a lot of the characters were underdeveloped and marginalized,、um, but that is also because it's a very large friend group, and it's very difficult to flesh out like seven characters in an hour and forty minutes, or however long the film is. Um, but I feel like、um, his girlfriend, what is her name, Kira. Kira. I think she deserved a lot more characterization,、um, more in the sense of not agency, because I think she's given agency in the film as it progresses. But she is kind of this like rock in dealing with like Will's grief.、Um, like she's the one over the past two years or however long they've been dating who has been like helping him. Even Eden like notices like. I'm glad you're there for him. How is he doing? She goes to her to find out about how Will is doing. But other than that, she doesn't have her own personhood. I thought. I agree. She's almost too good to be true. Right. It seems. I don't even know what she does. I don't. I don't know. If was it was it brought up? No.、Mm-hmm. That no. Was... But there's no occupation. Yes, I think so. Some well, some people like we we know what some people do. Like one of them is a doctor. And、um, oh yeah, I forgot about the doctor. But do we know anybody else's? I don't know. I think all of the support. Oh no, we know somebody's a professor. Yeah, yeah professor.、So、they are talking about. You're right. Yeah. yeah, they are talking about tenure and whatever. Yeah. Right. So、uh, I just think I just think that somewhat the background information is lacking, and maybe Kusama should watch more Ultimate or Jungle Noir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll continue our discussion of the invitation with Sarah Olanowitz. Support for KRUI is brought to you in part by the Englert Theater. The Englert highlights the talents of local performers, artists, ensembles, and also hosts regional, national, and international touring performances. The Englert is located at two two one East Washington Street. For more information, call three one nine six eight eight. Two six five three, or visit www.englert.org. Welcome back to、uh, Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. This is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. We、oh. are currently discussing the invitation with our guest Sarah Alanowitz. But Changmin, what you have another question for us? I bet I do. Okay, so this is somewhat a cult film, right? So it is. A film about a cult, or a film built upon that there's a cult ha- gathering happening in the film, and I think the most famous cult film ever is Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut.、Um, I just don't see that many films about cults like ever.、Uh, do you think the depiction or like the narrative really, really? Brings that dimension or that kind of thing,、uh, I don't know, strongly up to our perception. Like this is like somebody's going. Like they are not weird, right? Because like they are only doing something slightly irregular, and I think that's almost the definition of a cult. Like doing something slightly irregular. Um, I thought it played an interesting factor into the overlying, like. Ideas of grief.、Um, it was really interesting to see them, or at least I should say, like the director and then to Eden's character having like turned to that in order to deal with like
um, her son's accidental death. Um, I still don't know how in- much I entirely feel about like the cult aspect. Spencer, what do you what do you think? Um, I don't know. I guess the first thing that jumped at me, I like, first of all, I think it's great that her name is Eden. Right. Um, yeah. just, like, in <laughs> regards to sort of this discussion. Um, I don't know. I think I agree with you in the sense that when it comes to cults, there's always, usually all it takes is just like one little thing to be off to sort of like get the ball rolling. And I just, I remember watching this documentary really, really recently about a cult. I think it was called Holy Hell. Um, and it was sort of the same thing where like everyone kind of gathers around this like very like minute one idea. And then from there, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. And I guess with this film, um, I'm not entirely sure still what the group ideology is. Like, I'm not entirely certain I could like specifically point. This is like the thing that they've centered their entire belief system around. And these are all of the things that have been built on top of it to sort of like um, solidify that one ideology. Like they're not, they're not isolating themselves from like, Society. I mean, they've invited all of these people over. I mean, and I think some of the characters have said too, like they've heard of this specific cult. Like it's it's something that a lot of people are aware of, right? But then on the other hand, too, they also haven't seen them for two years. So there's mm-hmm. this sort of weird feeling of like, is it new? Has it been around for right. a while? Did it just pop up suddenly? And mm-hmm. like, and then like, why now? All of a sudden, are we being invited over to this place where we haven't seen these people for two years? And there's, there's like still very fresh wounds involved with mm-hmm. everyone. Um, it's particularly like the ex couple. I guess um, their wounds are only like two years fresh or something. Yeah. So that's still very raw. And then to have all of these other people join in on that grief too feels. A little bit culty, I guess. I think one of the interesting things about cults, particularly in the context of American culture and then American movies, is that they blur the lines with um, lots of things that we believe in when it comes to religious freedom and sort of individual choice and individual ideology. So um, in real life, I think this happens, right? Like when we see things like Scientology become a religion where everyone's kind of saying like isn't this like a cult but lo and behold because of taxes they're not religion (laughs) um and so there's a defense there and so trying to explore it gets really complicated because it makes you question certain things about religious beliefs i think the same thing kind of happens when we see representations of mormonism on the screen um the sort of like what's the line between um like certain religious sects and cults and i know that there's like actually definitions for these things but it becomes hard when when you're actually faced with um friends or people you know joining a religion that makes no sense to you or a particular sect that makes no sense to you um and i think that it's interesting to see that navigated in this way um and we also and even when it's not religion like i'm thinking about like when oprah got really into the secret about eight years ago does everyone remember when that happened the secret's like a book that was written that was kind of like if you visualize it it will happen to you i think it was the takeaway (laughs) it was and it was people were really into it until eventually it kind of ran its course and then i think everyone felt a little embarrassed about it (laughs) oprah should feel embarrassed about that if she doesn't um because she supported it and then i was kind of like wait a minute this is getting a little kooky like it, it went so far beyond a little bit of that American individualism kind of if you dream it you can achieve it went into like an unhealthy place I think um 
I'm off topic, so. Okay. Charming, you must have another question. <laughs> I do. So, how do you feel about using a horror genre to visualize strong emotions like grief or dread or ecstasy? So, I'm thinking about you know Last Frontier here, especially his melancholia and Dancer in the Dark. Does it invite a fuller reflection on the issue, or just you know become a form of exploitation, or just you know even worse, just an allegory? Um, I'm. I'm pretty hot and cold about this kind of question because I think a lot of times when you're dealing with these strong emotions, it's very exploitative in a sense that it has a lot of like stigmatizations in terms of like mental illness or like these these overpowering emotions that come from traumatic events.、Um, and I thought the invitation did both like a good and bad job dealing with that,、um, like、uh, with the one.、Um, Character, the kind of like crazy girl or whatever her name is、um, that I don't remember.、Um, she's a really interesting character in a sense that she doesn't really get any kind of、um, what's the word I'm thinking of. She doesn't really like get a chance to kind of have her own on why she acts the way she does in this group of like newcomers that she's never interacted with before. But then on the other hand, like. It's there's a lot of sympathy in terms of like Eden and how she was this, you know kind of like her namesake seeking out this kind of refuge after this horrible experience that happened to her and she didn't know how to deal with it.、Um, so I think this film is like an example of how it can not be exploitative and like use horror as like an allegory to kind of talk about these things, but then also be exploitative. Yeah, I would agree. I also think that. I mean, outside of the horror genre, when there's sort of heavy emotions like this, usually the entire like I'm thinking like drama is usually the entire film is centered around just this grief、mm-hmm. or just this one emotion, and sort of the constant penetration of that emotion can almost feel even more exploitive at sometimes.、Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking, just like tearjerkers in general, they're like made to sort of manipulate like manipulate you into crying with the film itself, and I think with horror. I think exploring these emotions might also give it a chance to sort of touch on the subject without,、um, like, completely just like hitting it again and again and again with the hammer, because it's also supposed to conjure up other feelings in you as well.、Mm-hmm. And there are other things to explore in this movie besides just the grief aspect. Um. I don't know. It was interesting something that you just said, Spencer, about how there's a certain level of melodrama and horror in this film,、um, which is interesting because I don't do a lot of work with either of those genres. But、um, if I'm thinking about like Linda Williams comparing those two genres as body genres and the、yeah. things that they have in common, and then the things that they have that are very different.、Um, And it would be interesting to do an analysis of this film, a close reading of this film, to see like does it fall more into horror in the categories that she creates, or does it fall more into、um, melodrama again in the categories that she creates? Is it like, or is it a perfect balance, or is there a really obvious answer? I don't know. It would just be interesting because there's all the different things about. Um, you know the emotions it evokes in the viewer, the things that happen to the characters on screen, the fluids, the、um, the timing, the sort of too late or the、um, too early kind of timing.、Um, 
all of those questions it would like be fun to run this movie through that chart yeah sure uh, so you know, seriously, <laughs> I'm not trying to say Whatever. that. Whatever. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So I find it quite interesting that psychological horror films are no longer psychological. Like a better way to put it would be they are only psychological at the beginning. That a lot of films from Jeff Nichols, including Take Shorter from 2011 and Midnight Special from 2015. Or more recently, Tank Overfield Land and the Witch. How would you assess、uh, this kind of tendency? Oh, am I first? Okay.、Um, I don't know. I feel. I don't know. I would say that. I don't know. Maybe just to me, the films that are listed here. I think some of them are pretty psychological, even after the beginning. I think.、Um, I don't know. I'm thinking. Like the witch, even just in sort of the way it plays the entire movie of like, is there, is there, is she or is she not a witch? Kind of that kind of conjures like sort of the psychological thread throughout the movie, and then even dealing with sort of familial trauma behind that as well. There is sort of like the psychological thing that's happening,、um, where sort of the family unit kind of unravels and has to deal with that、mm-hmm. fallout. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what you. I think. I mean, I guess my 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 distinction was that usually、uh, the hallucinations of the protagonist are not true, but they are getting truer and truer in recent cinema. Like they almost like being materialized just on screen. Like、hmm. if you like imagine it, you come true. Like Tech、okay. Shelter. Okay. Yeah, I think even like. I think Take Shelter and Ten Cloverfield Lane kind of have the same thing going on. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think with maybe Midnight Special would be because there's like it's not just. I think Midnight Special focuses not just like on one person who believes、mm-hmm. they're like it's an entire group of people,、mm-hmm. yeah. a very large group of people like together. Um, but then ultimately, like as you're saying, I guess like in the end, it like does turn out to be true. Like, oh, it's are, like yeah, it's just like the secret, right? <laughs> <Yeah> . So <laughs> basically, it, it's true. <laughs> contemporary cinema is becoming the secret. That's I think the conclusion of today's show. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll obviously have to end on that note, and I have to send an apology to Oprah.、Um, <laughs> She's I, coming. She's coming for me. If I envision her, she will come. Right, again, the invitation <laughs> plays at Film Scene Saturday, September seventeenth at eleven p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. For more information on Bijou After Hours, check out Bijou's website, bijou.uiowa.edu. If you're interested in seeing film that challenges, inspires, educates, and entertains in downtown Iowa City, please check out Film Scene and Film Scene's website, icfilmscene.org. To find this and past episodes of Bijou Banter, please check out Bijou's website, bijou.uiowa.edu. All of our episodes are also available on iTunes. You've been listening to Bijou Banter. Spencer, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Changmin. It's a pleasure as always. Likewise, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. I've had a great time, everybody. <laughs> I'm Leah, and I look forward to more banter next week. <laughs>